Well, I want to thank you for uh, arranging your schedule, being back for the Be Good series, our struggle on the journey to love. You know, some of my friends think that I'm a little hard-headed, but if I need help, I'm not above asking for advice. Some of you know that um, Linda and I own a little farm a couple hours from here, and this year I bought nine calves with my own money to raise and sell. Now, in the cattle industry, I'm known as the greener, right? I put these calves out there to eat pasture grass so they can put on weight, and then later in the year, I'll sell them. But I don't know anything about being a greener because I'm just a pastor, right? But I do know someone by uh, the name of George. George is a friend of mine who has successfully raised cattle his whole life. And notice he's packing heat. So I went to George and I asked him for advice. And because of George, I've become a successful greener and I'm pretty proud of it. But the other day, I was talking to a person about my farm and for 30 minutes, This person told me what I should do, and I never even asked them for any advice. And talking to them for that 30 minutes, it was like they spoke to a stone wall. They may not have known it, but I wasn't having any of what they said. Why the difference? Well, I'm not too good to ask, but I'm not so bad that I need to be told. And I think that's how a lot of us feel. We actually appreciate it when we hear some good advice that helps us live better. We like getting a tip on how to save money. We love it whenever we try one of those Facebook recipes, you know, and it actually works. We like it whenever we read an article that helps us live a healthier lifestyle. But none of us like being told what to do when we didn't ask for advice. No one likes for another person to get in their business. But in this series of talks entitled, Be Good, I'm kind of getting in your business. And I realize you may not like it. Now the reason I'm doing this is because the Apostle Peter gave us a roadmap for following Jesus. And you'll notice that in his roadmap, the journey to love begins with faith and it culminates in love. And the first checkpoint, the first stop along the way, Peter said, is that you and I have to be good. And I'm suggesting in this series that if we want to live a good life, and I think most of us do, then we have to be good people. And by that, I mean morally and good people. We have to be virtuous. But that's where the problem comes in, doesn't it? Who get, what gives me the right to tell you to be good? I'm not always good myself. And who decides what is right and wrong? Most of us would prefer to decide that for ourselves. And none of us like to be talked down to. We don't like to be lectured. We don't want to be demeaned by another person 
who thinks they're superior to us. It violates our sense of dignity and equality. Now, I want you guys to know today that I completely get that. Most of us don't think we're too good to ask, but none of us think we're so bad that we need to be told when we didn't ask. But talking about what's right and wrong is basic to life. It's why our parents always remind us to be good. But we have to have this conversation. And in order to have it, there are some uh, there have to be some objective, objective standards of what is right and wrong. Well, where does the standard come from? And who decides what is good and bad? Well, here at City Church, we're convinced that only God can decide that. We know that none of us are perfect, and we know that most of us are not as good as we think we are. And that's why at City Church, we try to be radically accepting of other people, to help one another along the journey to live like Jesus. And because this is a long journey, we can and must be patient with one another along the way. However, having said this, God has set objective standards for how we should live if we are going to follow Jesus on the journey through life. And that's what I want to talk about today. I want to talk about the standards. But before we start, I just want to make one other thing really clear. These standards of behavior are not how you get into heaven. These standards of behavior are not how you obtain eternal life. Eternal life is the free gift of God to anyone who believes in Jesus and receives him as their savior. The standards are how we take the journey through life with Jesus. The standards are how we follow him. The standards are how we become a fully devoted follower of Christ. So what are the standards for being good? Well, one of the places that we get an answer to this question is in the writings of the Apostle Paul. Paul wrote to people who had believed in Jesus and who were in, and he encouraged them to live as though they had believed in him. Look at what he wrote. He said, put to death, therefore, whatever belongs to your earthly nature, sexual immorality, impurity, lust, evil desires, and greed, which is idolatry. But you must rid yourselves of all such things as these, anger, rage, malice, slander, and filthy language from your lips. Now, in these verses, Paul gave those of us who want to follow Jesus two lists that define some of the basic standards for good and bad behavior. The first list has to do with our sex lives, and the second with our speech. And the bottom line is this. Neither list should describe you and me if we are Christ followers. And so I want us to unpack these two lists. 
Now, in the first list, Paul dealt with sexual immorality. Y'all, God designed sex for a man and a woman in a committed marriage relationship. And in the scriptures, this kind of sex is always good. In fact, just for the record, I'm for you having a lot of it, all right? And here's why. Sexual intimacy with your spouse unites you in a bond that is very difficult to break. This is good for your marriage. And so I want you to have a lot of sex, maybe more than you're having right now. And I'm hoping at least half the room might give me an amen, guys. All right. Ladies, I hope some of you will too, but. What isn't good is impurity, lust, evil desires, and an insatiable appetite for sex. Paul called this kind of sex idolatry. And it's never good because God designed sex to serve us, not for us to serve it. The scriptures always describe sexual immorality as wrong because it dishonors God, it harms other people, and it hurts us. And that's why Paul said, but among you, there must not be even a hint of sexual immorality. Now, I know that some of you are feeling like I'm really getting into your business right now. There is no, this is one of those advice I didn't ask for moments. But I want you to hear me out. Many of you have believed in Jesus. And you're trying to follow him. You want to live a good life. You want your life to work. You want it to be good. But you're struggling with sexual immorality. Some of you are, uh, are, are, not married to the person that you're living with. Some of you've got multiple sexual partners. Some of you are having an affair or contemplating an affair with someone else's spouse. Many of you are watching porn. Y'all, I'm not running you down for that. I'm not pretending to be superior to you. I'm not trying to police your moral life, but I want you to listen to me. If you and I want to follow Jesus on the journey to love. If we want to become fully devoted followers of Christ, if we want our lives to be good, then we have to understand that sexual purity is basic, basic, basic to making progress. Paul didn't leave any wiggle room on this. He said there shouldn't be even a hint of sexual immorality among us. So what are we supposed to do about it? Well, Paul was crystal clear. He said, put to death, therefore, whatever belongs to your earthly nature. Now, I have a hunch that most of you in the room have never put anything to death except maybe a roach. And I'm talking about the kind that crawl on the ground, okay? All right, yeah. <laughs> if, if you put the other kind to death, you just probably don't want to laugh out loud about it, right? I mean, you don't want everybody to know. 
Well, to put something to death means you terminate it, right? When you put something to death, you terminate it. You don't play around with it. You don't try to improve it. You don't try to get better at it. You don't try to phase it out of your life. When you put something to death, you terminate it instantly. So how do we do that? Well, we live in a culture that is drenched in sexual innuendo. You're not going to be able to get away from it, but you don't have to encourage it in your life. And so... To keep from doing that, you and I have to get radical, get radical about taking control of our sexual thoughts and actions. Because remember what we said last week, what your mind dwells on, your body acts on. So let me give you an example, guys. When your wife sends you to HEB to buy something that she forgot, guess what? There are going to be a lot of women there, all right? So you've got to get radical about how you do H-E-B. Now, when I go to H-E-B and I see a good-looking woman, I don't try to say, oh, yeah, what a dog. I don't do that. The first thing I do is say to myself, wow, God, right? And then I'm pushing my cart. I look down at the floor. That's what I do. Until she has passed. And if my, if I'm, uh-uh. Come back, right? Guys, there can't be any rubbernecking at H-E-B. Save that for I-10. No rubbernecking at H-E-B. Because what the mind dwells on, the body acts on. And then I remind myself, Linda is a great wife who deserves my undivided sexual interest. I committed that to her when I got married. When we married, we committed that to each other. So anything that tries to take that from her, I terminate it from my routine because it's not okay to cheat on Linda, even visually. You see, I have to put all other sexual options to death. That means get radical at H-E-B. That means get radical with your online browsing. That means get radical on what you allow your eyes to see because what the mind dwells on, the body acts on. God designed sex to serve us. He didn't design us to serve it. But sexual liberality isn't the only roadblock on the journey to follow Jesus. Paul also challenged us in the second list about our speech. Look again at what he wrote. But you must rid yourselves of all such things as these. Anger, rage, malice, slander, and filthy language from your lips. Y'all, our words serve as a window into our soul. If someone else wants to know what you're like, all they have to do is listen to the words that come from your mouth. If you want to know what is in your heart, all you have to do is listen to the words that come out of your mouth. Paul mentioned five. He mentioned anger and rage. These are words that describe every man or woman who verbally or physically abuse another person. He mentioned malice and slander. This is speech designed to hurt someone else by defaming their character. 
This is speech from a rival who intends to ruin another person's reputation by the words that they say. And then he mentioned filthy language. This is obscene or abusive speech that when you hear it or when you say it, you know it isn't good. Paul's list describes a person whose emotions are completely out of control. It describes a person who is mad at others and acts on those emotions in a way that hurts others with their words. You know, the other day I was passing through one of these areas on I-10 where there's so much road construction and the left lane was shut down with those concrete barriers, you know? And right there in this place, there was also an entry lane coming in right there. And this can be an extremely dangerous little intersection, not to mention the fact that there are other people driving behind me, right? Well, there was a guy who wanted to enter there, and it never crossed his mind to take a look to see if anyone else was coming. He simply drove in, and there was no place for me to go. I had a barrier on my left. Well, this made me mad. Not near as mad as it used to would have made me, but it made me mad. Now, no one else, thank goodness, was in the truck with me, so I don't think anyone else heard my words or saw my gestures. I'm just being honest. But if you were to ask, hey, Witty, did you have anger? Check. Rage? Check. Malice? Ah, I don't think I had time for that. Slander? Possibly. Filthy language? A little. I talked and acted exactly like Paul said not to. It wasn't good. Maybe you've experienced something similar. How do we deal with these emotions that are given uh, legs, really, by the words that we say? Well, psychologists tell us that these emotions come from a pain in our past. And Paul said that we have to go through a process of healing that pain. Look at what he said. He said, but now you must rid yourselves of all such things. Then he said, clothe yourselves with compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. Bear with one another and forgive whatever grievances you have against one another. Forgive as the Lord forgave you. Now, these highlighted phrases were words in Paul's day for changing clothes. Paul said we have to take off the old dirty stuff and put on the new clean stuff. And in the Greek grammar, behind, uh, you know, behind these words... Uh, it teaches us that you have to do this for yourself. No one else can change you. No, you have to dress yourself. Okay? But this isn't easy. I mean, no one just flips a switch and stops being angry and outraged and immediately starts being compassionate, kind, humble, gentle, and patient. You can't simply terminate these painful emotions. You don't handle your speech and emotions the same way you handle sexual immorality. You can't just terminate it. They have to be healed. 
And there is, a, that, there is a change process for this healing. And Paul gave us the first step in the process. He said this kind of change, this kind of healing begins with forgiveness. Look at what he said. Bear with each other and forgive whatever grievances you may have against one another. Forgive as the Lord forgave you. You know, forgiveness is tough, isn't it? Forgiveness doesn't mean that what someone else did to you is okay. If you were abused, it wasn't okay. If you were abandoned, it wasn't okay. If someone took advantage of you, it wasn't okay. But forgiveness means that you are willing to bear the burden of someone else's sin. Paul said we should do this because that is what God did for you and me. When Jesus died on the cross for us, he bore the burden of our sin. He didn't have to do it, and really, he shouldn't have done it. He wasn't guilty of anything. But he did it because he loved us enough to forgive. God didn't press his rights against us. Instead, he yielded. He bore the burden of our sin, and he forgave. And y'all, this is the essence of love. This is the essence of the journey that we're going on. If we are going to go on the journey to love, and if goodness is the first stop, then for many of us, that means forgiveness is the first step. And so here's what I'm asking you to do today. I'm asking you to start the journey to love by being good. Specifically, if you are struggling with Sex, uh, sexual immorality, I'm asking you to terminate any and all, any and all sexual sin in your life. Don't mess around with it. Don't try to phase it out. Don't try to make it better. Terminate it. If your emotions are getting the best of you, take the first step on the journey to love by forgiving those who have hurt you. Forgiveness will free you from the pain that they have caused you and it will give you a real, tangible way of expressing love. You know, those of you who were here last week, you remember that I told you about the big bearded guy who sent me the email thanking me for praying with him on a Saturday night. You, you, you may remember that after we talked together, he called his wife. He admitted his faults to her. He asked for her forgiveness, and they are back together again. What you may not know is that he doesn't go to City Church, and he doesn't live anywhere close to City Church. He lives south of San Antonio. You know how he got here? He happened to be driving on 410, and he saw a billboard that said, go to church. And for some reason, he came to City Church. Listen, you never know why God gets you to a certain place on the journey. 
I have to tell you, talks like this where I get in your business, they're not my favorite kind of talks. But maybe God has you here today because you have got to hear this for your life to be good. And so I'm asking you to do whatever God is putting on your heart. I'm asking you to abandon yourself completely to him. Are you willing to do that? Our prayer team is going to be here in just a few minutes. Maybe we can help you with that. After the service, I'll be out on the plaza in the tan pavilion just to the left out the doors. If you're new here, I'd love to meet you. But right now, I want to pray with you. I want to pray with you that you'll have the courage to take the first step of this journey. Heavenly Father, we thank you that you care enough for us as our Heavenly Father that you're willing to get in our business and tell us the truth about standards that are good for us. And Lord, I pray that one of the things you would do in us right now is I pray that you would open our hearts and minds not to be offended by this message, but to receive whatever part of it we need. And Lord, I pray that we would have the courage to terminate sexual sin in our lives. I pray, Lord, that we would have the courage to take the first step toward healing our emotions by forgiving those who have caused pain in our lives. Lord, we need, we need help in this. We need to make these decisions wisely, but I pray for us today that we would do that. And so this is our prayer that you help us begin on the journey toward love. And we pray this together in Jesus' name. And everyone said together, amen.